This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is time once again for Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. It's an honest, no BS, non salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, a longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy at Data.World, joined by co host Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim, I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure. We're here. Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, it's 5 p.m. right now where I am on the East Coast. I'm actually live from Atlanta while you're up in Austin. And uh, today we have an awesome show today because uh, we're meeting today with our guest, Alex Vayner, who is the Managing Director of Data Science and AI at KPMG. And what was super awesome is that we met at the MIT CDOIQ conference That's last right. year, and we really hit it off, and I think... It was the honest no BSness of things. That's right. Cheers. Uh, how are you doing? Glad to, glad to have you here. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So let's kick it off. Uh, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, toasting is a, I, I, I'm Eastern European, so I grew up in the tradition of making toasts. Um, and uh, I guess um, maybe let's toast the customer customer the customer right so peter drucker said the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer so i like that and, and, what, are, and what are you drinking today and uh what i'm drinking is a lagavulin 16 uh Islay scotch neat uh just because life is pain and suffering and uh and this is the best representation <laughs> of that in liquid form so. <laughs> no need to complicate any more than that how, how about you tim i think you're kind of in the similar vein right now i'm on the same page with alex here maybe a slightly more optimistic tone but i am drinking this uh spring um spring bank single malt uh it was distilled 23 years ago and it is uh very wonderful so cheers and well, I'll, I'll say cheers to customer as well, because, you know, being the chief customer officer over data.world, that, that really resonates with me. So cheers to that. And I'm drinking what's called here an old herb. It's a, imagine an old fashioned and a mule had a baby. So it's like rye whiskey and ginger beer and bitters. It's actually pretty refreshing. So I, I'm something kind of very easy to go do at home. Uh, looking forward to having more of these. And yes, cheers to customers. I remember rem reminds me of... Um, what is an organization, right? It's a human endeavor where there's people who get together because they have a common goal that they want to accomplish. Uh, and then there's people on the other side who you want to accomplish that goal for. So yeah, to people and to, and who are customers. Cheers. Cheers. All right, so we got our warm-up question. Uh, uh, today's episode is all about the DNA of a data organization. What is one DNA trait you think would be awesome to have? So I don't know if this is technically a trait, but the the thing that I've been after the most is resilience, right? And I think that in in today's world, when you're beaten down every time, or there's a new technology up and around every time that forces you to learn and then to fail, resilience is becoming really like the number one trait for me. So resilience. I like that. I, mean, I, I, I was thinking like, uh, I don't know, is it like... Uh, some crazy, I mean, almost superhero type of stuff. But now that you I said know. that, now that you said that, that is the crazy superhero stuff. That, that is, yeah. yeah. Well, I always talk about the balance between efficiency and resilience, and I think we always 
kind of over focus on being efficient, but we need to be more resilient in this world. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, yeah that's so I, when I became a parent, this is about 15 years ago, I thought about like, what's my mission for the kids? And, you know, what I defined for myself was that I was going to focus on raising resilient problem solvers. So that's kind of the so resilience has kind of been around for me for for a while. Um, that's the that's the the motto. Resilient problem solvers. Love that. Tim. I thought resilience was great. I think my, my serious answer would be along the same lines, patience. I think if patience is something that you can have and pass down, then I think that's great. Um, my, my less serious answer would be, can you be born with muscles where you never have to work out and you, you just have them, right? <laughs> All right. I th I, but that's a good one, too. All right. Let's just kick it off. Honest, no BS. What should the DNA of a data organization be in? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's the, that's the problem to tackle. I, I guess, you know, maybe I would start with the, you know, the head of the organization, right? The chief data analytics officer. And I think that the, the noise that you hear a lot um, is the high turnover of chief data and chief analytics officer. So that's one of the things to, to tackle because if you don't have one consistent leader, it's very hard to have any kind of a structured, you know, uh, well-run machine that is the organization. Um, and I think, um, you know, um, even Tom Davenport, who is the sort of the oracle of analytics, right, wrote an article, I think a couple of years ago on this. And, you know, he had a perspective, which I think boiled down to, uh, you know, it's a very new role, so it's hard and the expectations are very high for, for chief data analytics officers. So it's kind of like the big takeaways. So, um, but I think there's like, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And for me, like it's, it's so much more multifaceted and complex than that. So I think that would be a, a great thing to talk about. And I think that probably number one thing that jumps to mind is like, you know, even defining do, what is the problem, right? So you've probably heard this, at least as a mathematician, right? You know, defining the problem well is half the battle. So what's, what is, is it a problem at all? Um, and so one of the things I remember being struck by is that I forgot where I read this, but it was a statistic that if you look at the S&P 500 in the 1950s, the average age of a company was about 60 years old. And if you look at it now, it's about plus or minus 15. So the average age of a company in S&P dropped by a factor of four. And if you think about like tenure of executives and even more so tenure of just regular data scientists and data engineers, you can't really you know, have higher tenure of the company, right? Like just the, the math doesn't work. So if if the average tenure used to be, you'd have three jobs in a career, right? 15 to 20 years. Now the average tenure in general is, you know, divide that by four, right? So now you're talking about three, four years. So it's all of a sudden the average tenure for chief data analytics office, which is I think about 2.5 years, right? That's not so much off the average tenure period. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, you know, it's like a one sigma, it's not a five sigma. So that's yeah. also like a difference in perspective, right? Like, oh, okay, so yeah, it should be a little bit longer, but it shouldn't be three times longer, right? Uh, so that's kind of like the one thing that like, you know, I was present to is just the idea like, wow, like that's, that's different. Like the, the world has changed and we kind of, you know, woke up and said, oh, you know, well, you know, chief analytics officers tenure is too short, like everything is too short. 
That, that's interesting. I, I've, I've heard that a lot before the S&P, you know, 60 years old. Now it's 15 years old, like the, the, the rate of change and, and, and turnover within companies and innovation. It's, it's accelerating. Right. Um, but I haven't heard it applied to things like jobs before and people's roles in organizations. So do you think do you think that's a problem? Is it a problem? I think that it's I, I think it's a problem. It's just not a as big of a problem as we think it is. And I, you know, I, I think that it's reasonable to think it will get a little bit better. Um, but I think that just referencing that and having the sense of, okay, it's a problem, but it's not a, you know, it's not a, the biggest problem out there um, is, is, is a good point. Um, I think the other one that, at least as I was reflecting on this, what that jumped out at me, it's, and it resonates with what Tom was saying a little bit is in terms of expectations, like in this role, First of all, you have to assume this person does a very good job managing up, right? Managing to the CFO in the business and being the translator of data and insight to business value. At the same time, you want this person, right? We're in the, you know, in a talent shortage time, right? Uh, right now, you know, we got um, the great resignation, we got quiet quitting, all of these forces that emphasize even today after all of these rifts, that are happening in the last four or five months in the data space you know it's still highly desirable there's still more jobs than, than their applicants and so the you know the question is how do you attract talent and if you want to attract data scientists data engineers data architects you can't be the business guy because those guys want to come and they want to learn from someone they want a leader who's actually an expert in some aspect of data so that's hard right and then this is the other part that's that shocked me as as I deal with a lot of with chief data analytics officers, that's usually who I work with as a consultant, is that this incredible expectation that they should know everything, not only being able to sell to the business, but within the supply side of things, right? That's a demand. But the supply side, knowing engineering, architecture, you know, transformation, cloud, um, machine learning. Um, all of the aspects of that, you know, it's it's unprecedented, right? And it's, you know, it's I don't think it's realistic, um, you know. That's and I think that's that's one of the challenges. So, so let's let, let's dive into a couple of things here. One is about kind of the the breadth of knowledge of what a CDO or CDA. Yeah. Have. So that's one thing I want to dive into. But before we go into that one, you talked about kind of like oh, there's there's a lot of people who there's a lot of jobs, right? And also the people want to get those jobs. So they they want to be more into the technical side and and so if you're only talking about the business they want to attract those yeah. attract those people but this reminds me of the conversation we had a while ago with bill inman right the father of the data warehouse and and he made this great statement which was we have loyalty technologists have loyalty to the technology and not to the business and that's why they start jumping from place to place so i'm like i get that i want to go work in a place where they have great technology where i'm going to go learn but then going back to what we were cheering on and where's the customer, this great technology, is it always providing value to the customer you need to go do? So I think there's like some realism that we need to ground it. And sometimes like, hey, guess what? Like the really cool things that we want to go, that you want to go do is probably not what this organization needs. And then everybody's just going off and trying to look for something that actually is not what's providing business value. And that, in a way, it's kind of what we're in a sort of a bubble, I would argue. So I would say to me, that feels like a false dichotomy, okay. the idea of like technology or business, what like as a data scientist, 
I, what I want to do, I want to be around other data leaders and I want to learn from them and I want to be part of the conversation and I want competence. So I want my boss to be able to say, um, oh, you, you know, you're saying this model takes four weeks to build. Like, I think that, you know, actually you're being too aggressive. It should take seven because you're going to spend three weeks just cleaning and structuring data first, right? Like, what are you thinking even? Oh, I wanted to say, why are you building a support vector machine model, right? Like, why aren't you like, you know, doing something like logistic regression that's much simpler or gaming's clustering or whatever that is. I want to learn from people. I want someone who understands how long and how, how something gets done. That's the part that's important to me if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about being a data scientist. Now, there are different career tracks. If I'm thinking of being a business analyst, the business side of the equation is important to me. But you got to have somebody, if it's not the chief data officer, then it's their number two who brings in that data competence, right? So, so that's, that's what I'm finding is really resonating with people. And when they, you know, when it's someone with an MBA who's never actually written code and never built a model, um, they kind of take a look back and say, okay, is this really the person who's going to help me grow as a data engineer or a data architect or data scientist? Okay, I, I, I appreciate that, that, that balance right there because I mean, uh, as going back, now going back to the previous point of like, oh, it's so broad, kind of the CDO, CDAO role. Uh, it, it, you need to involve not just all the technology, which is, that by itself goes into so many different kind of mm -hmm. aspects. It's, it's the business side, which that itself also can go into so many parts. Um, yeah. But then what would, if we go back to like the original question of what is the problem? How would you articulate the problem that the CDO, CDAO should be focusing on addressing? So for sure, the problem they should be focusing on is the value problem, right? How do I get to have data connect to business value and doing it as quickly and as effectively as possible? So probably if I was to choose between supply and demand, between strong knowledge of data and data systems and uh, really understanding the business and being able to articulate the uh, what you're doing to support the business and business value I'd probably put business value first and foremost um, and that but 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 then you have to quickly compensate for the fact that you may be lacking in 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 the data and the tech uh, stack and and it may be a challenge for you to hire and retain great talent which is you know as we know uh, one of the key problems today so that's that's the balancing act. You always have the supply and demand, and that's the tricky part of the you know the, the CDO role. Um, no, and and I think almost as tricky, maybe even trickier than the the second part, which we mentioned already, which is like being a you know jack of all trades, right? Like understanding enough, and maybe being a true master in one of the disciplines, right? Like let's say machine learning, but really understanding cloud and architecture and integration enough. To, to to be competent and, and it just I, I don't think that's that's possible like in you know if you look at other disciplines that stopped being possible long ago like if you look at math there is no one person who understands all of the mathematics of today i think the the last person who in math who was was able to do that i don't know if you guys heard of uh, Henri Poincaré he was a mathematician in uh, mid 19th century, early 20th century is like most known for known for the point correct conjecture that was like just proved 20 years ago. Uh, and it was like an open problem for like, you know, a long, long time. But he was the last the last person to have been able to say, 
I understand all of contemporary mathematics from topology to number theory to combinatorics to, you know, analysis to group theory, all of it com combined in, you know, like he could talk intelligently and read up on any paper. If you take a mathematician today who's a topologist and give him a number theory paper, they won't be able to follow past the first half a page, right? Like, or they go to a talk after the first five minutes, they're lost, right? Because they, 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 the fields progress too far. So it, same thing is happening in data science, except faster, right? Um, like there is no, like we, there is no Poincaré in, in data science anymore. There is no one person who understands the depth because we're moving too fast, right? It's that Ray Kurzweil, like, you know, where, you know, the law of accelerating returns, right? Like it's moving so fast that in change in two years in data science is like changing, you know, a hundred years. Yep. Yeah, it's it's becoming harder to keep up with everything, given the how the, again the the rate of innovation and change, and just the breadth of everything that's happening now, right? And you know, when when you were just mentioning about you know having some depth maybe in one thing, but also being a jack of all trades, being sort of dangerous across a, a variety of disciplines, I thought of like a like a T shaped person. So you know, is 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 the CDO is the best DNA for a CDO to be kind of this T shaped person, maybe even like a a comb-shaped person, if they can have some depth in multiple things, but now you're starting to get a, a little bit more unicorny, at, at least a T-shaped person? I think so, because I, you've got to have at least some competence in some aspect of data. I just don't think that the data scientists and engineers will respect you if you're just a business person. You might be able to get the, the business side and get them enrolled and get them to, you know, to prioritize things the right way, which is a big challenge, right? getting that ROI. It's a huge challenge that, and, and a lot of the people that are data oriented don't know even how to think about this, right? But you gotta, you gotta be good at some aspect of the data ecosystem in order to have the respect, I think, of the people, you know, so they can say, okay, I'll, you know, I'll follow you as a leader because I know that, you know, you have distinctions in, in, in the data space. I think that's actually some interesting advice because i think sometimes when folks feel like maybe i only have business experience or maybe i only have this horizontal experience sometimes they think that uh, oh I, I have to just continue to 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 boil the ocean when it comes to my skills and just kind of stay at the high level right and never go below the water it sounds like you're kind of saying that you know maybe you don't know data engineering and so it's you know maybe that's not your specialty but maybe you can get a little deeper in data science uh, and, and now, you know, even though you only have one area that you've built some expertise in, you're going to be able to command more respect now because, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. You don't know data engineering, but you know, some data science, so you can, you can talk the talk there and you can provide useful recommendations. And that actually makes you more um, respected across all the disciplines. That's right. It grounds, it just grounds you like somebody can connect to you and you're, it just gives you a lot of credibility. I think that that's a part that's missing. And then also something I remember a long time ago, we had a conversation with uh, Mohammed Osser, who was a former CDO of McKinsey. And he, he had like all these different types of CDOs, which is like, are you the ones about security compliance? So you focus all on the, your thing about security compliance, or are you the one about uh, the, the, the data entrepreneur? Like I'm, I have data, I want to make use some value out of my data, generate insights and monetize it. Uh, am I the one who's about the culture and democratization? So making sure I'm, I'm enabling everybody to do this. So it also depends on kind of what the face of the company is, what they're trying to go do. I mean, what does success mean from a business perspective? So I think uh, there's, a, there's a lot to consider on the, on the CDO. And one thing we were talking before was, how would you compare kind of where the CDOs and CDAOs are today with respect to like the, the, the evolution of CIOs? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So like CIOs, like, 
got off to you know a great start in the 80s right that's kind of the the the, the birth of the cio and then in the early 80s you already had you know hundreds of them and now we have you know tens of thousands of them so if you think about it that's what that's you know from that from now until mid 80s that's you know that's it's 40 years right of uh of development and you know i think that we are maybe like five years in with chief data and analytics officers so we got lots of room to grow um i don't think though that but but again that the Kurzweil thing right like the world is the progress is much faster now than it was 20 years ago so it's even more challenging so i expect that our evolution will be even faster so and 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 the role and the expectations for it, I even, I even higher. So that's that's the challenge. So lessons to learn from CIO yeah. for sure. And like you know, right now I think at least a third of the chief data analytics officers that I talk to report into the CIO, right? And that's also part of the challenge, right? The CIO doesn't consistently report into anyone. Some of them report into CFO. Some of them report to CEO. Like some or, of them report into COO, right? And now the chief analytics officers, like now it's okay. Summon to the CIO. Summon to the CFO. Summon to the president of a business, right? Summon to the CEO as well. So there's a lot of complexity, and there's no one framework that says this is the best path for you know for companies so, so to follow th this is something i've been asking now and, and actually for folks who don't who, who are seeing us right you, you know that we're in like in this very intimate candlelight because <laughs> we're at the honest no bs dinner we're having here in atlanta today we've been doing several of these dinners and something i've been asking everybody is who do you report to uh, just to go, because it's very interesting to see people it's like, oh, you report to the CFO, you report to the CEO. It's like mm -hmm. people don't even realize. And then they, then the conversation gets really interesting. So I, based on what you're, I mean, you I mean, you work with so many different customers and yeah. see what are the patterns that you're seeing of reporting? Like where does data end up reporting? And is there a, a way that you can say like, oh, this reporting path is the one for most success or something? Is that even possible to find that playbook or so you know what 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 I, I so first the answer is like there's not one simple consistent answer even yeah. within an industry right or even within a company size right if you say look I'm going to focus on a one to five billion dollar company versus like a 40 plus billion dollar yeah. year no and or I'm going to focus on consumer goods and retail versus financial services still all over the place here's like the only thing that I've observed to be consistently not always but a, a threat where the data and analytics organization begins. Um, it usually, wherever it lives, it begins with a leader and, and it's completely centralized. And it's a good thing in the beginning because you want some consistency in your tech stack, some consistency in your trainings, some consistency in your data. And as it grows, it usually realizes and it matures that can't keep up with the demand. The demand from the business moves too fast. So what they become to do is become, begin to decentralize, right? And begin to spread, which is a fantastic thing. That's exactly what should be happening. Like, and you can see decentralization is just like, almost like a universal force, right? Like you can't, like the, you the can't moment, stop yeah, it. The moment you're decentralizing is because you know, you're growing, you're maturing, yeah, you're yeah. getting better. And, so. Yeah, and now you're like, you get concepts like data mesh and data fabric and data products come up because that's how you empower your business partners to go and build their own products, right? To build their own solutions, to build their own dashboards, all of those things. So that trend is happening. And I think that if you are, if you're, if you are seen, right? So IT, generally speaking, IT is a cost center, 
right? And what you want your analytics organization to be is a value driver. So if you're part of IT, the value prop is, I'm gonna help you, the CIO, become move from being a cost center to a value driver. What a fantastic story. If you're not, that means that you're, you don't even have the, the, you know, the part that may weigh you down. Now there's a cost to that because you know, the architects are still gonna be in IT. The cloud team is still gonna be in IT. The CISO and security team is still probably gonna be part of IT. And you're gonna have to work harder to make sure that that team is really connected to what you're doing. But the thing that's that's consistent is that evolution from like centralized, because you gotta you gotta be one core, you gotta you know have one machine that works well, and you're gonna have like data dictionaries, you're gonna have an ontology set, you're gonna have all those things, and then you begin to to share that, and you begin to grow, and then that's and and it's perfect because then you can actually start uh, upskilling the broader organization. And now everyone's data, right? And now the, the core team focuses on less. They focus on some aspects of data governance, perhaps. Um, perhaps they focus on R&D, right? Like you, at the end of the, the day, you want your cutting edge development probably done within the, the people that are not using low-code, dull-code solutions, but are actually writing Python code and that can scale. Um, that's a good thing, but really, a lot of the functions get democratized and get put out, you know, put out into the business, and that's a great thing. Now, I, 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 a lot of great nuggets that we need to go dissect that we're going to have in our takeaways. But one thing that came up to me was understand if you are in the cost center or understanding you're in the value creation. I think that's going to really change the way you speak, the way you mm -hmm. how, how you're going to convince people. But yeah, yeah I, I like that observation as well. Like, yeah, like a lot of times the CIO organization in a company may be thought of as more of the cost center, right? And so we, we always hear this like, oh, if the CDO reports to the CIO, then that can cause friction and things like that. And 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 I thought you said that interestingly, Alex, that if you um, if, if you want that analytics is a value driver. So you're kind of implying that if it's part of the CIO group, then we need to recognize and embrace that that CIO group is going to be. Uh, not just a cost center, it's going to be a value driver uh, organization. So the, I, I love that thing. And the truth is that this is, you know, this is not to dump on the CIO IT organization at all. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Peter Drucker, as you guys probably picked up already. So, so Peter said a while ago that uh, business has two functions, um, marketing and innovation. Everything else is a cost center. Um, so it's not just IT, like literally everything is a cost center except for innovation that's create new product right and marketing like make that product accessible to the customer and hence create a customer right so that's it um you know so the idea is what should analytics be focused on um well it should be focused on innovation creating new products and marketing right like you know getting new customers this is another thing that, that where should the data team uh if it's going to start right even in smaller companies i'm like oh there's a new first data team we're gonna do that who should you go work with first? Marketing. Always marketing. This is sure. I, so this is actually good, a good conversation uh, kind of to shift this. Uh, we wanted to we start from the top, right? Uh, yeah, let's, let's, go, let's go from the bottom, right? So, you know, we talked about the DNA of the top part of the head of the organization around data. What about from the bottom? Like you're a data scientist, you're a data engineer. Now what? Like what sorts of DNA should we expect there? What sorts of roles are most important there? So I started thinking about this question 
a lot more in the last like four or five months because I started seeing rifts, you know, across the board happening. And then, you know, friends from my network, from companies that I worked with before reaching out and said, hey, you know, I'm looking for something new. And, um, you know, I started thinking about, you know, so what are the different roles? What, like, what are the paths? And, uh, and I thought back to like my grad school. So I, you know, I, when I was finishing grad school here at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, um, I had aspirations to getting a PhD. And then, you know, towards the start of my second year, I realized that like, that's not it. And so I was, it was clear that I'm going to finish second year and, you know, get my master's and leave. And the only thing that was clear is like, I'm not going to be in academia. And that was it. So the world was basically binary. There's academia, that was a one, and then there's everything else, that's a zero. And I, you know, I kind of felt like a, like I was selling out, of course, you know, and disappointment to my, you know, um, advisor at the time, you know, may he rest in peace now, uh, who's a fantastic uh, professor at the Georgia Tech, Richard Duke. Um, and so, and, and, and so, but I did my master's thesis and I left and I remember applying to, it was like a second thought. It was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to career buzz and I dumped my resume in and I got, um, you know, a bunch of interests. And then I remember getting an offer, um, from a consulting company from FedEx to be a, you know, an operations research modeler, uh, just like, you know, just up doing optimization, which FedEx needs a lot of and from Oracle. So I got a big tech. I got corporate America and I got consulting and like my calculus for making the decision was like, okay, who's going to pay me most, right? Like if I'm going to sell out and not be in academia, I'm just going to, you know, go and, you know, to the highest bidder. And, and I did now what ended up happening is I went to a fantastic strategy consultancy called Mars and co it's a spinoff from BCG from about 50 years ago. And in two years there, I got the best business education I could possibly dream of, right? Coming in as a mathematician, and computer scientists not really understanding even like what is ROI, what is business, what is EBITDA, what is a 10K, like these all were foreign terms to me because I mostly spend my time um, studying combinatorial algorithms. And 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 it just now has a as a reflection on that, I kind of, you know, started thinking about, okay, and so I created these six categories of, um, I think there were uh, consult professional services, uh, corporate, then financial services, because that's a huge machine in of itself. Um, then uh, startups, um, government and uh, NPOs and GOs. And I think I'm missing a, a category here. Um, it will come to me. Um, hmm. I think there was definitely a sixth one. Um, oh, big tech. Big tech. So, and those were kind of, I don't know, a six, you know, you know, this, this is not the truth or anything, right? Like you could create seven or nine and 27, but those were kind of the different options. And I started thinking about, okay, like these represent fundamentally different experiences for a data scientists or an analytics professional, right? So if you're working, you know, so my love is consulting. I spent, you know, at least two thirds of my career in consulting. And I love it because it's fast paced. I love it because it gives me a lot of different experiences. Every three, six, nine months, you got a new project, which means you have a new client, new industry, new project manager and partner, new team that you're you're part of. Everything is new, so that kind of appealed to the ADHD nature of me, right? Like just change, always change, and then you're always learning, right? Like you know, you're always learning new things, new industries, new companies, right? Understanding new technologies. So that was. No, that was huge, but there's a cost, right? The cost is you're working 60, 70, 80 hour days. 
the cost is you travel all the time. So maybe if you're starting your family, you know, and you know, your primary caretaker, this may not be the ideal path for you. So like those are the considerations that I never thought of. And I thought about sort of things like what is the risk here? Like the risk of being fired? Uh, what is the environment culturally? Is it structured, right? A lot of, you know, clear paths on what you're doing, why you're doing it. Or is it unstructured? Um, is there depth of learning? Like, okay, I'm gonna do NLP, and that is all I do. Like, if you're in consulting and you just wanna do computer vision, it's gonna be very hard for you as a data scientist, because you could be, and there are a few people that are super specialists, but usually if you're a data scientist, you might be doing, you know, logistic regression model today, a, you know, um, in an NLP model in Python tomorrow, and you know a you know fraud analytics model the day after and those are all things that you may be you know that's part of your regular year but if you go for work for big tech so you go work for microsoft that's very unlikely to happen you're more likely to be on the opposite side right you're more likely to be highly narrowly specialized right because they have tons of phds and there's no reason for them to have people that do nlp and computer vision um, in the same camp, they'll have a thousand people just, just doing NLP and they'll do have a thousand people just doing computer vision. And that is all you'll be doing. So if you have a PhD and you want to specialize and you want to do one thing, it's a much easier fit into the big tech world versus the consulting world. Right. And so those are some of the considerations like I started thinking through in a you know, startup, completely different space. Right. Like, again, you can be a data engineer, an architect, and a data scientist all in one in a small startup, right? Potentially, that's a possibility. That will never be, that will never happen in big corporate today or in big tech, right? You're gonna be one or you're gonna be the other. Um, you can have a ton of breadth and you can have a ton of depth in, in a startup, right? That's the beauty of a startup is you're wearing lots of hats because it's small, right? So they want a little bit more of a unicorn. Um, Big tech doesn't hire unicorns anymore. Big tech hires, you know, hyper specialists. Yeah. This Al is Alex, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Juan. No, 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 you go, you go, Tim. You go, Tim. Uh, I, I was going to ask if if you are so it's interesting to hear from the perspective of like, oh, if you're an academic and like, here's what you, you here's the, like where you might find a better fit for you. If you want to try a bunch of stuff, then maybe a startup is a great fit for you. What if you want to be like a CDO someday? Right. Like wh wh where, where's like if you were going to design the perfect path, what path do you recommend somebody start on the ground floor as a as an analyst? Do you recommend they start in the business and then change careers 10 years in? Like what's what's the perfect path? Well, this is a fascinating question. Yeah, that is a strong question. So let me give you my jaded answer first, because like, you know, I'm like a <laughs> Eastern European, you know, sort of hyper realist pessimist. So, and so that part <laughs> Sorry, of the Eastern European hyper-realist pessimist. Yes, yes. Oh, that is to go on a t-shirt too. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, was born, I was born in Moldova, which is one of the 15, you know, Soviet republics. So like my experience, you know, there's a psychological theory that says whatever you experience in the world when you were 9, 10, 11, that is kind of like embedded in your brain as how you perceive the world. So like my 9, 10, 11 is like standing in bread lines and, you know, like life is hard. Right. So like that's the hyper realist, you know, pessimist like side of me. So um, if you want to be a chief data analytics officer, I think like you should be in corporate. Right. Because corporate will arm you for not only the technical skills, which are important, but the political, environmental, cultural, structural skills that make for a chief data analytics officer. Right. You'll learn that. That's number one. Number two, 
when some company like Hydrix struggles or Egan Zander or, you know, replace it by one of those top executive retained search firms that usually look for a chief data analytics officer or any senior executive role, they look, they will say, okay, I'm looking for a corporate leader. Like, does this person have a corporate track record? I guarantee if you've spent 20 years in startups and you want to be the chief data analytics officer of Coca-Cola, it's not happening. Like, it's not. Like, they're going to look at you and say, do you even know what it means to to be a senior executive in a in an organization with 100,000 people in it? Like, no. Okay, so I think that if you spend your entire life at Microsoft or you know, or, you know, or Apple or Google, they'll say the same thing. Like, yeah, he's probably a fantastic technologist, uh, but like, does he know how to run a team in corporate America that that is not pure tech, that is consumer goods or manufacturing or financial services? Very different. So I think that what kind of chief analytics officer do you want to become? Do you want to become, you know, th that person in corporate America, then go into corporate America? So are you are you you're saying that chief data officers really don't exist in the big techs? They don't exist or in startups no. and they exist. They have like who is the chief analytics officer of Google? Like I don't even know what that means. Like yeah, the whole okay. company is analytics, right? Like like what does that person even yeah. do? But if you say like okay, you're the chief analytics officer of like UPS, that's a company here in Atlanta, right? Oh, I know exactly what that means. Okay, like you know, because they deliver packages, right? They they don't build data, right? Like they're, you know, but, so. But you know, this is a very valid point. I completely agree with it. But now, 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 where there's still data work, data teams in startups in these big tech stuff. So sure. Where do they fit inside of uh, inside of that organization? So now you're getting into nuances, like you know, first of all. All the big techs are getting sectorized, right? So every nobody's just data, right? So you go to Microsoft and their professional services, they have a healthcare team, they have a financial services team, right? Both on the product side and on the professional services side, right? So what that means is that there, if you're becoming a leader in that team, okay, you have experience selling into, let's say you're in healthcare, you have experience selling to you know payers and providers. Oh, that's interesting because now when you come to interview with, um, you know, with, a, let's say, Blue Cross Blue Shield, like you can talk very intelligently about like what do providers need and, you know, how, do, how does it work and, you know, and, you know, what are the, the what are the data sets, you know, what are the security concerns, you know, what are the EII issues, all of those things, you'll be very credible. But I think the more traditional path is, you know, you know, I, so I'm not a chief data and analytics officer. I'm a managing director in a consultancy. Now you could say like a lot of what I do is I, I work with chief data and analytics officers, but I think that the skill set besides understanding in, of analytics and data is, is very different in a consultancy than it is in, in corporate. Yet still, you see people move to and fro, right? It's not unusual for somebody to spend 10 years in the industry and then come into consulting and then, then go back and do this. And I've done this myself. Well, just to go back a little bit to the bottoms up piece, because I, yeah. I think this is a very interesting conversation where we, we talked about the CDO and, and like the path that you can get to it. And, and so it, if you like, what is the best way to 
organize the bottom up part of the data organization, right? Like, should there be the data engineering group and the data science group and the analyst group? Um, or should it be, you know, you, you talked a little bit about sectorized, right? I think especially larger organizations that have more decentralization going on, you see more of, hey, let's sectorize and, and, and have the expertise more embedded in things like that. Like, is, is there is there a framework that you think about as, you know, not not just the CD, the CDO and their DNA, but sort of the DNA of how the, the broader data organization needs to look? So there are clear structures and, you know, and, and, and teams that, that are, I think, are pretty well known. I don't think I'm going to, um, you know, um, innovate by saying, okay, you need to have a team that focuses on data governance, right, and data management, and you're going to need to have a team that focuses on, um, you know, your integration with cloud and sort of data integration team. You need to have a team of, you know, AI, ML experts that are actually building models, right? You need to have a team that, that focuses on, you know, reporting visualization because that's how your, you know, your insights get consumed by the business, right? You need probably to have a team that focuses on actually being the liaison to major businesses and domains. So if usually if in, in, in the traditional American corporations, there are at least two, three, four different divisions, right? Um, that are focused on different products or services. And then their functions also marketing, finance, supply chain, right? So you may want to have, especially within your data science and AIML team, people that focus on, start focusing on, on those major domains. And you also want to have people that are in part of your, you know, what you can call go-to-market operations team that focus on being the liaisons to marketing supply chain finance, capability-wise, presidents or you know senior executives of various businesses right because the idea remember is that as you mature you want more and more of your organization to move into the businesses and into the functional domains like marketing and supply chain and to consolidate your team so when you're in your you know sort of year three four five and you're in what we call sort of mature embedded analytics organization like you you have very little dashboarding people on your analytics team because you don't need to run that many dashboards as an analytics team. Guess who needs dashboards? The CFO needs to see uh, what's going on financially. The chief marketing officer wants to see how his marketing mix model is actually playing out and how his ROI on different you know parts of the marketing dollar is, is coming up, right? The supply chain officer needs to have a dashboard that maybe pops up when there's a problem in distribution somewhere, right? Or where there's an inventory problem. Like, so those those things are needed in the business or in the functional domains. So why have them in your you know analytics team? That was a very beautiful setup that you had there. Oh. And I, I'm, I'm really happy that you brought this up. And I think this is something that we need to highlight. This was like minute uh, 40 of the podcast to go listen to. Oh, it's right. really, really nice. We have a, you can see all the notes that we have. But uh, we, we could keep talking about this for hours. And luckily... I am going to keep talking for hours with you after this because we're going to have dinner. Uh, but all right, let's, we need to we need to move on. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation, and we're going to move on to this other segment that we kind of forgot to do last time, but we're going to bring back the AI minute. See, okay. we didn't yeah. talk anything about AI, but no, so you have no. one minute to rant, talk about anything you want about AI. Sure. Ready? Okay. Go. I got. To, 
All right. Uh, well, I think that we're hearing a lot about ChatGPT and a lot of noise around that. And I think that sort of my, my rant is really welcome to the club. I think things are only going to get worse in the sense that um, we're going to have a lot more new things come up that completely disrupt our understanding of AI, our understanding of business, our understanding of the world. This is the, the Ray Kurzweil sort of drop dead units and law of accelerating returns. And we're, you know, we're just getting started here. So um, I think that, you know, brace yourself. And I think that the, the, the motto for the next year, at least, is just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, right? Like right now business is asking questions. What are the implications of, you know, a judge GPT for, you know, on the business side? And nobody clearly knows the answer. And, you know, and to presume that anything else is true is to delude yourself. Perfect. One minute. That's actually a great point. Uh, it was, yeah. The, it's time to get uncomfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. There's, there's so many open questions right there. But all right. Uh, Tim, lightning round questions. Are we ready to go? Let's do it. All right. I'll go. I'll go first. So. If you can't have a CDO with both business and technical, could you start with a technical CDO who can learn the business on the job? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can't coach height, right? And the height here is tech skills. Like it's it's much easier to get smart and understand how the business works and start doing things like, you know, putting together guesstimates on return on investment for a particular, um, you know, solution than it is to start coding in Python. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, second lightning round question. Should analytics and the data office be bundled? Are you like, AKR, are you a fan of CDAO? Um, so my intuition says yes, um, because that's the supply and the demand. And you don't want to separate the supply from demand. When they're separated, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt because you're not going to build the right thing or you're not going to build it right. So <laughs> neither one is a good is a good option. All right. That's an interesting analogy there. It's like separating engineering and product management. Like if they're too far away from each other, weird things happen, right? That's right. All right. Next question. Is it better to have a few unicorns on your data team or 10 more specialized team members? Depends on which team. If I'm running a startup, I'll take the two unicorns. If I'm running a big organization, um, it's going to disrupt everything because people are going to get jealous of the unicorns because there really are unicorns. There are very few. And I don't have as much utility for them. I have very clear structure around who's doing what. Fine, but if I'm starting a company, I will spend the 10x on hiring a unicorn. And I've, I've hired a few. I know exactly what they look like. They are rare. But when you hire one, oh, my God, you know, the ROI is through the roof. Great answer. Wow. All right. Fourth question, final question. Fourth. Will generative AI be a net simplifier and accelerator for data teams? Or not? I, I feel like the right answer is yes. It will be and it will not be. Um, you know, it will simplify a lot of a lot of things that we're doing manually right now. But it will also create a lot of issues, right? Like we're seeing already ethical AI and all of this stuff. And and now how do you teach a college course to you know how do you check that a legal essay was not done, you know, uh, and you know, was not plagiarized. Um, 
I think that create it, it solves problems that creates problems at the same time, which is great. That's progress, right? It is. All right. Takeaway time. So we had a lot. Tim, take us away with takeaways. <laughs> All right. Well, we started off with the DNA of the top part of the organization, and we talked about the CDO. Uh, and you especially, Alex, started off by talking about, you know, the expectations and the challenges and the turnover that we experience at that level. You know, it's a, it's a new role, uh, you know, relatively speaking, expectations are high. And you use that analogy of, you know, the average age of the S&P companies, they were a while ago, it was like 60 years, now it's 15. Similarly, maybe, you know, you might expect a CIO or something like that 20 years ago, 30 years ago to stay at the company for 10, 15, 20 years. The CDO is, I think the latest date is like an average tenure of about three years or so, right? Um, so uh, obviously things are changing. Some of that is to be expected, but some of that is kind of undesirable, right? It, it definitely makes things challenging from a resilience standpoint. Um, so when we looked at the, the CDO, we also talked about like, what's their goal? Uh, and you really mentioned that it should be business value first. If you have to focus, you need to put that focus and, and, and put it on business value and put that at the center and the technology comes after, right? Obviously the, the two together is, is best. And I think that was a theme also that we talked about today, but if you have to pick one, it's business first. Um, expectations you got to turn data insights into business value um you have to kind of know enough to be dangerous um but you want to kind of have some depth right so we talked about this t-shaped person and, and you kind of described having having one of these uh, deeper skills in a particular technical area that can really help you uh to to build respect in the organization and, and to to be able to answer those types of questions like uh, you know, hey, you know, I want to use this deep learning model. Oh, do, do you really need to use a deep learning model for that? I really think that can be a logistic, uh, you know, uh, regression. And I, I think that 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 ability to to command that respect and navigate those uh, those kinds of conversations ends up being important. Um, you mentioned that uh, technology versus business is a, is a false dichotomy, right? You want to be able to to try to address both of those. Somebody needs to be bringing the data competence, and if it's not the CDO, then then that person needs to report to it. Um, and uh, you mentioned that, um, uh, you know, the CDO, where's the best place for them to really report? There's, there's no ultimate answer for that. Um, you know, it, it's definitely depends on the organization. Um, but if you want to have, you know, consistency in your data, your systems, your training, your dictionary, your ontology, then it is good to start in a centralized fashion and kind of grow from there. And then figure out kind of uh, how to decentralize over time. And I know, we'll, uh, Juan, you probably have some more takeaways about that in a minute. Um, uh, and that you should really think about, is this person reporting into a value center or are they reporting into a cost center? Uh, and if you're saying that, hey, analytics is going to be a value driver for the organization and then they're going to report into a cost center, then you got to recognize that either you're going to set them up for problems or, or you need to change some of the mandate in the way that you're thinking about your CIO organization or your CFO organization or whatever it may be to be a value driving aspect as well. Uh, and so that's pretty important. Um, analytics in general, um, you know, is is something that creates value for the organization. You, you mentioned Peter Drucker uh, and how um, he uh, pushed that really a business has two revenue centers. It's, it's marketing and innovation. And so you connected that to analytics. Analytics should be focused on marketing and innovation. Juan, I'll pass it over to you. What about your takeaways? I think that's one of the key things right now. This, there's 
one thing to remember is you need to provide value. If you want to go do that, it's through innovation and marketing, innovation, new products, marketing is making those products accessible to the customer. So then we also talk about like the bottoms up, right? From the data engineers, the data scientists. And I, I like how you categorize these different types of jobs, right? You have six categories, professional services, corporate, FinServe, startup, government, MPOs, NGOs, and big tech. And the reason why it's important to think about these differently is because they all have different mentalities, different modalities around how they deal with technology. Uh, you, you gave your personal example, right? You were, you, you were in academia, you got out, did your master's, and you went to join a, a strategic consultancy where you learned so much about the business, and that's something you could have only learned at a consultancy around that. So if you think about it, in a consultancy, you're going to be jumping on so many different topics. In big tech, you're going to be specializing on the topic. They don't want unicorns. While startups, on the other way, they you, they want a unicorn. They, they're going to be hiring. They want somebody who can do the data engineering, the scientists, wear lots of hats, that unicorn. Um, this is a great, interesting question. It's like, if I want to become a CDO, what is my path to the CDO? Your very specific answer is like, you should be in corporate, right? You really need to understand the political skills, right? Because it's really corporate America, right? A corporate world who's going to be looking for CDOs. Who's the CDAO of Google? I don't know. Everybody does analytics over there, right? So... And if you're going to, if somebody, company's looking for a CDO for people who have experience in corporate, thinking about the bottoms of teams, you talked about what do it, what do, what do teams need to go do when it comes to data? You said specifically data governance, cloud integration, data management, modeling, data science, machine learning, reporting, visualization, and having that liaison to the business domains. And then eventually as things scale, right? Then you have different aspects who start focusing those domains. So your data science, machine learning will be focusing on a domain. The reporting and visualization will focus on a domain, right? Over time, that decentralization is really an, a, a manifestation of the maturity of the organization. And you start having embedded analytics all very part of it. I mean, then that's why central teams won't have any more uh, reporting dashboards teams and they're, they're going to be pushed out. How did we do? Anything we missed? No, you guys did great. I feel very understood. Well, this was all you. We just uh, we were just paying attention to what you were saying, and you had a great, uh, great, a lot of insights in here. Uh, we're gonna throw it back to you. Three final questions: What's your advice? Who should you invite next? And what are the resources that you follow? Um, sure. So my advice is: um, so I started doing a series at KPMG for the younger analytics professionals in the organization, um, and it's um, it's also kind of catered around creating your identity and connecting and networking within the firm uh, to create value to help your career grow. And, um, you know, so the motto for that is watch your ass. And this is the ass with a capital S. And the three things analytics professionals that I need, that I think that I've pushed to focus on this first ask is the sector. Everything is getting sectorized. The earlier on you decide, I'm going to be a financial services guy. I'm going to be a healthcare guy. Or, you know, I'm going to be a consumer goods guy, girl, whoever that is, that's going to be very, very helpful because that's getting premium more and more, right? And companies that are, companies like, even like like Microsoft, but even next layer down, like Databricks, uh, you know, fantastic company that's, you know, in, in the compute space, they're getting sectorized. Like they're getting, you know, focused on specific solutions for specific industries. So the second S is the hyperscaler. Like, the world is in the cloud, right? Now, whether it's AWS or Azure or GCP, fine, but choose one, get certified, get you know good at it. That's gonna be a key differentiator. You're not just a data scientist writing Python code or a data engineer 
right? You actually know how to do this within a hyperscaler. And the third S is the what I call the subdomain, right? Which is the, you know, within analytics, choose a specific function. Okay, you do fraud, or you do risk analytics, or you do NLP, or you do computer vision. Choose something you specialize in that becomes a really a big part of who you are. And sort of the wrap around it is that, you know, sort of tell your dragon slaying story, go network, go connect with people. Um, and, you know, wrap it all around the, wrap the three S's into one dragon slaying story that tells the prospective customer, employer, um, or even an employee about, you know, how awesome you are and, and why it's worth getting to know you. That's fantastic advice. Three S's. Watch your ass. Watch your ass. <laughs> Who should we invite next? So the most, I, this is going to be a challenge. Uh, one. Uh, the most interesting man in the world, in my opinion, is uh, Tyler Cowen. He's a professor of economics at um, George Mason, and he has a podcast as well. He's an economist, and um, you know, he is, uh, he's just a brilliant, brilliant person. So um, he has, he's not a data scientist, analytics professional, but if you can get him on, uh, I would recommend. I, I, I follow him religiously. This is kind of leading to the next question. What do I read or listen to? Whatever. Yeah. So Tyler's podcast is number one. Um, I used to be a big fan of Eric Weinstein when he ran the portal. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, a Harvard PhD mathematician that uh, used to work for um, for Thiel, Peter Thiel, uh, as an MD in his, uh, in his venture fund. Um, also fascinating. Um, I listened to a podcast called Intelligence Squared um, at least once a month. I think it's one of the most interesting podcasts that kind of involves different topics from, you know, history, literature, politics, poetry. Um, not a pure data science um, source, but just something that I, I find fascinating. Um, I think I think those are the I, I read the journal every day just because you got to know what's going on in, in the business, yeah. right? And then I I follow a bunch of for technology and data. I I don't have a single source. I think I I, I use Feedly and I just follow whatever the Feedly article takes me to, um, and the sources are kind of all over the place. All right. Well, this was a fantastic uh, set of resources uh, to go follow. Uh, Alex, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank Just quickly, uh, next week, our guest is going to be Ricardo Baeza Yates. Uh, he's a research professor at Northeastern University. He's the past VP of research of Yahoo Labs. He was a pioneer in all web work. Uh, he wrote the book on modern information retrieval. So for only uh, computer scientists out there that look about web information retrieval stuff, he wrote the book on that. He's a true expert in AI. Uh, and a really good friend of mine. And uh, next week is the web conference in Austin, which I'm the general chair of, and Ricardo's going to be there. Uh, so we're going to have a live uh, podcast with him. And, and he's been one of those loud voices about bias in AI and responsible AI. So it's going to be a really great conversation. Um, with that, Alex, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This was a phenomenal conversation. Cheers, Cheers Tim. Alex. Tonight. Thank you for having me, guys. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.